I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Mudat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. This is episode 415 for October 22nd, 2012. Today's guest is Haley Nicewanger, and there are three shows remaining. The Respect Sextet provided the theme music for the 400 and so far 415 episodes of this show. Please check them out online at respectsextet.com. They often perform around primarily the New York area, but sometimes elsewhere, and they have great records online that are available for sale. Please buy them and support the Respect Sextet at therespectsextet.com. Thank you to Dave Rabel for the show's logo and Rob Grundel for the Jazz or Bust logo. You can find me at jasoncrane.org if you want to keep in touch with what I'm doing. I am intending at this point to also create a new podcast that will focus on interviews with artists in all disciplines. So, you know, musicians, sculptors, chefs, actors, writers, dancers, jugglers, fire eaters, I don't know. But anyway, uh, a show with a, a broader scope than the jazz session, but I think not dissimilar in style. In other words, equally stilted and awkward. Uh, so that'll be coming up, and I'll be asking for your help to fund it. I'm going to run a crowdsource campaign to get the thing started rather than doing it for free for several years to build up trust like I did with the jazz session. I'm just going to assume at this point that you either trust me or don't and then just ask you for money. That seems that seems easiest, right? You're used to me asking you for money at this point. So look for that, but you can, in the meantime, stay informed about what I'm doing by following me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can also join the mailing list at either thejazzsession.com or jasoncrane.org. At thejazzsession.com, it's at the top of the page. At jasoncrane.org, it's at the bottom of the page. It's the exact same mailing list. So if you're already on the mailing list for the Jazz Session, there's no new mailing list to join. But if you're not on yet, you may wish to subscribe and stay in touch with what I'm doing. My guest today is the saxophonist Haley Nicewanger. Her new album is called The Keeper. We'll hear some music from that and then our conversation. Mm-hmm. 
my guest is saxophonist Haley Neiswanger. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, if we had done this interview a couple of months ago, we probably would have had different things to talk about. But as it as it stands, your fall plans have changed from what you originally expected. It has, <laughs> yeah. It would be a much different story now, for sure. So tell folks what you're doing uh, rather than starting school again in the fall. Yeah, well, uh, originally I was going to be getting my master's at MSM this fall, Manhattan School of Music, that is. Um, and kind of came up to uh, sub for Tia Fuller and Esperanza Spalding's Radio Music Society. So I'll be going off with her for a month and um, too much school to miss for that. So I've deferred for a year and we'll see how things go this year. And perhaps I'll be in attendance next fall, but who knows what could happen. <laughs> so I'm really excited for this tour. I really um, respect Esperanza a lot as a musician. And um, we both share the same teacher back home in Portland, Oregon, where we're from. So we kind of have had this connection. I've known her for quite a while. Um, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. And this isn't your first time playing with Esperanza. You also did a daily show appearance with her, is that right? I did, yeah. Back in April, I had subbed for a couple of rehearsals um, for Tia when they were preparing to go on the tour. And um and I played on the Daily Show with her as well, so that was that was an exciting time. I guess um, we hadn't seen each other in quite a while, though. Our teacher kind of kept, you know, us up to date. Sure. Um, but she heard me playing down at the Zinc Bar one night when she came back into town. It was just like, "Hey, sound great. Want to come <laughs> sub next week?" And I was like, "Yeah." That's great. <laughs> so I was really excited about that, and just meeting everyone in our band. They're very talented musicians. So, and an extremely yeah. limited number of jazz performers have appeared on The Daily Show. So talk about what that was like. Because yeah. you're probably the only person I'll ever talk to other than Esperanza. I guess that's right. Because right. um, he never really has any musical talent that's on right, that yeah. show, hardly ever. Um, well, they were very nice uh, people in that worked at the station. And um, John Stewart came back and said hello to us. And he acts the same off stage as on camera. So um, it was really an, an exciting experience for me. I'd never even really been in a TV you know, station before. So to see how that back you know, work, the background works, sure. like what's going on behind the scenes and how it kind of looks like on set. Um, but yeah, it was really, really just fun. It was like quick and, and, and I had a lot of, like a lot of people from home that like I hadn't talked to in a while, like old teachers from like an English teacher sends me a Facebook message, which is like, I think I just saw you on TV. <laughs> and I was like, mm, yes, <laughs> that's great. Um, Talk about your your role in that band, what the band is like. Um, the band is, I think it's 12, pe well, 12 pieces. There are three saxophones, um, a tenor, alto, and, alto soprano, and barry tenor. So they, they kind of share the instruments sure. there. And there are two trombones, two, uh, two trumpets, but one of the trumpets doubles as a singer as well, and another singer, and Esperanza, guitar, piano and bass so it's it's you know it's small enough that everyone can stay really tight it's not like a big band but the the sound that we get sounds like a big band you know we, um, greg hopkins did these great arrangements for the group that um, really expands it and sounds like a larger ensemble than it actually is um but i'm really glad that she's taking her music to this like you know she's really exploring using more instruments with her band um and she is a great arranger and composer. The songs, I think, are really fun. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I guess we're going to be on a bus for a while, so I'm sure I'll get to know them a lot, <laughs> lot better. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so let's talk about your own uh, most recent album uh, and tell me kind of the, the genesis of this record, why you, f- why you felt it was time to put out another record. Um, well, I recorded this album. The second album of mine is called The Keeper, and um, I recorded last November, beginning of November in 2011. And I had, well, I mean, it had been a few years since I released my first album, Confetti. That was in 2009, June of 2009. And so I just felt like it was time, but I was not going to do an album until I felt like I had enough original compositions um, prepared. Um, Why but not? Why did you feel that? Like because my first album only had one original composition, and I feel like to really establish yourself like in the jazz world here, you need to, like, what really helps give your own voice in jazz is the compositions. I mean, you think about all the composers, Monk, all these people that are playing his music, and he doesn't stand out just as a great piano player. He stands out as a great musician, composer, you know, mentor. So um, I really wanted to, like, find my own voice in jazz by, you know, through composition as well. And my compositions will also have influence on what I play, like, improvisation-wise. So um, I kind of just wanted to bring about a new thing and play my own music. It's also, you don't have to buy, buy as many royalties. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note. <laughs> but um, I've, I think it's really fun to compose. I wish I w- would give myself more time to, but I feel like I really needed to be in the right inspiration for that. And um, what was really the backbone behind The Keeper, um, what kind of started it, um, was in, in two, August of 2009. So a couple months after Confetti came out, um, my high school teacher, um, he was also a mentor of mine and he was in my band back in Portland when I lived there playing drums. And, um, he, when I graduated, he went to Zimbabwe to go teach in Africa to some elementary school students. And unfortunately he was killed in a tragic accident on a motorcycle bike collision. And, um, I, it really like hit me really hard. I hadn't lost someone that it had that, you know, kind of an impact on my life, especially my musical life. But, you know, he taught me so much more than music in terms of being a good person and, you know, ways to live your life because he was so amazing. So I started to write for him. I wanted, I didn't really know what else to do. I was over here, you know, no, I, I think I was, had just gone back to Portland when I found out. So luckily I was home and could reconnect with other, you know, students of his um but tell us his name uh jeff cumston yes jeff cumston he he had a family there too that was with him so it was just really tragic that you know he's so young two little kids so um but i didn't really know how to cope with it i had you know and so i just went um when i got back to boston i just started to write for him and um and I composed a piece that was all right, but it wasn't perfect, wasn't what I wanted, it wasn't capturing his spirit, and I wrote another thing, and I, I wrote another thing, and finally I kind of mixed it all together, and I came out with The Keeper, and that's the title track of the album. And, uh, yeah, so basically the whole album is dedicated to Jeff.
can you talk about how you how do you deal with something as specific and as difficult as that through music? I mean, when you sit down with a piece of staff paper or at the piano or mm-hmm. with your horn, mm-hmm. what's the what's the first step in, in trying to express what you're feeling? You well, know? I think I had a, a better sense of it because I have played with him before, because he's been in my band and I could picture him playing drums befi- behind me and, you know, when he's really getting into it and that spirit that he has when he plays. Um, and so I wanted, it. it's kind of got a switch feel between swing, which he, you know, loves, and this kind of like 6-8 feel. Um, and I... I just wanted, you know, it's a spirited song. You know, it's not like a sad song. It's not like a, you know, mourning Jeff. It's celebrating Jeff. So um, kind of just trying to capture that. And, What's it like yeah. playing that piece live? Oh, it's fun. It, I mean, actually, it's it was like I wrote it. And it was when I switched over, because I compose on piano. So then I switch over to saxophone. And, you know, it was a little more tricky to work through at first. But now I've played it so much, it's really, really, I find it fun to work through, through those changes sure. and, and just you know capture this excitement and this energy because it gets pretty intense yeah <laughs> will you talk about who else is on the record with you yes um they're all some of my dearest friends from berkeley college of music that have graduated um takeshi obayashi on piano and max moran on bass well takeshi's from japan and hiroshima and max is from new orleans mark whitfield jr who is from jersey city and Darren Barrett plays on three tracks, who is um, he's from Toronto. Yeah. That's and he's great. a professor at Berklee College of Music. putting this band together and how you knew these were the folks you wanted to work with? Yeah, actually, right kind of shortly after I had um, finished um, up with Confetti in 2009, I just, well, I guess I'll give you the first inside scoop. With Mark, he was my boyfriend for four years, so I kind of had an inside <laughs> thing there where um, um, when I right when I came to college, we just were playing together all the time, sure. and, and he's an amazing musician. Um, so much history and energy within his playing. And Takeshi, I, I heard, um, who had just done some ensembles with Mark. And, you know, it's a very small community there. Berkeley really, they have a lot of students, but they break off into their little, you know, genres and what they're into. So the jazz, you know, community, you know, we all knew each other. And, um, I just love Takeshi's playing. He can swing so hard. He's so s- sweet. 
with his melodies and the way he he builds his lines and i just like the way he feels when i but when he plays behind me the way he comps i feel so comfortable and he feeds me these ideas that i think like really interaction between us is great and um max is someone who kind of i i had played with a bit um at Berkeley, and he was just a good friend of ours that we had all become friends, but I hadn't played with him as much. In fact, when he came out for the album, I hadn't played with him since he had been to school for about like a year or so. Um, so that was that was exciting though, because I knew he'd fit right in with the rest of the guys. I just could hear them playing well together, and they they were all good friends too. So I flew him up from New Orleans for the recording, and we just had like one rehearsal the night before, and then went in to the studio. It was pretty raw. So um, aside from Mark and Takeshi that had been, you know, playing all these composi compositions since like I had, you know, wrote them and we'd have gigs throughout the year, just at random places in the Northeast. Sure. And um, yeah, so and then Darren um, led an ensemble that I was in in uh spring of 2011 and so just working with him we really got this thing going where our sounds just blended well together and we could phrase the same way and articulate the same way and so I'd always played being kind of like his band side man where we were playing his music and I was following him and now it was kind of like seeing how it worked where it was my music and you know how it would how I would be the leader through that music and it was it was awesome. It, it sounds it. like the the kind of the camaraderie was as important almost as the musical match. Yeah. Yeah, we were all fr in fact the whole album is friend based. Um my friend from Berkeley recorded it. Um I had you know uh yeah, recorded. I had other friends work with the artwork on it. One of my, my sister took the, did the photography and my best friend did the cover art, which is a beautiful canvas painted, um, like off the photograph that she did. Um, uh, and yeah, there, there you go. So it was, so, and I, I had a, one of Darren Barrett's friend do the mixing and mastering, who was just so nice, worked out of Avatar here in the city. So. Yeah, it was just a really, you know, fun project. I actually owe it to a lot of people, though, a lot of friends all over the world that I have because I, the way to fund this project was done by a Kickstarter program. So I had a Kickstarter out for, for a couple months to raise $16,500. And, you know, that was really bold of me. Not lots of students or, you know, people my age have raised that much money for, you know, a, an album. Um, but it took a lot of work, a lot of emails, a lot of, you know, calling on, on my, you know, people that know me and people that support me, fans from home, fans that have just followed me on YouTube and, you know, Facebook and all these people that want to see me succeed. So I, I made my goal and I'm really grateful for that. You know, I had a lot of, you know, it works with like the pledge tiers where right. you, um, you give them like rewards for their donations or whatever you want to call it um but i had some very you know gracious donors um so that that you know without there was like 210 supporters without them it would not have been as easy i mean i would have gotten an album out but it would have been very difficult <laughs> and very expensive does it feel different to make an album when that many people have come together to contribute to its existence um well it did in the in the after scope of things because I had recorded 
before I recorded um, a few months before I even did this Kickstarter, and I okay. was already underway mixing it and getting it ready. So shortly after the Kickstarter ended, um, my CD was re- released like three months, three weeks later after the Kickstarter ended. So everything had already kind of like was in production, and I was just like basically. If it didn't come through, I was going to be down in the hole. <laughs> so I was so thankful that at least I could start at zero and hopefully and grow a small profit from sure. it at least. Um, but I really just wanted to get my my new sound out there. I, I mean, confetti went over very well. It was really happy with the way it was received. Um, but this one is just a better representation of me and and how I play and. And because every composition on there, there are eight compositions and three arrangements, and every composition on there is written for somebody or something I respect or, you know, you know, things I, you know, things I admire. Give us an example. Um, well, Norman, the third track is written for my dearest mentor back home in Portland, who's almost 95, and he practices every day, he plays clarinet. And I met him when I was eight years old, when I was doing a project on George Gershwin. And he's kind of just reminded my mentor ever since. I would go over to his house and he, we would listen to old scores, and like old records and follow along in scores. And he was the associate conductor for the Glenn Miller Orchestra and also had done a lot of arrangements for um, Sarah Vaughan and Tony Bennett and a lot of records. Norman Layden. So he's, and I've also never really had a grandfather figure in my life, so he kind of took that role on too. So he's very close to me. And um, the composition Straight Up, which is the second track on the album, was written for Thera Memory. And um, he's the teacher that I shared in common with Esperanza. And he really. And he sounds like he should be the hero, like in a space opera or something like that. He is. That's the greatest. Thera Memory is a beautiful name. He plays trumpet. And he, um, he when was, he's not traveling the world, like saving people, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's the he's the kind of man. He's a fighter, that's for sure. He's been through a lot and has had a lot of health problems mm. as well that he's really had to struggle with. Um, he was the last trumpet player with Eddie Harris, um, and he has he's just been such a strong educator throughout his whole life, and um, he really knows how to teach, really knows how to get kids to swing and know what they do but <laughs> I was at this point in my life where I was doing so much I, I played piano I played accordion I played classical clarinet I played 
jazz saxophone and I was at this point where people were just like you need to you know you're doing you're gonna rare yourself out you need to choose a focus and I joined his program when I was 15 going into my sophomore year and it completely changed me and I was just like whoa and what was his program um it was called the American Music Program and actually my two roommates that I live with now were in the band with me back at home so (laughs) um they don't play anymore but um it was just like a really fun fun community conglomerate band that would meet outside of school. So lots of kids from all over the Portland area were a part of this program that Thera would, you know, have and, and we'd have rehearsal three times a week and we played um we would play comp the competitions all over the all over the United States actually and it's funny that band you know, going off on this tangent from the CD, but that band, we went and traveled to the Berkeley High School Jazz Festival in 2006, and there um, I received, like, the Superior Musicianship Award in our category for, like, both the combo and the big band, and people over Berkeley were kind of starting to talk about me, and you know how they like to grab right. grab kids <laughs> in when they can. <laughs> so um, they, uh, they gave me an invitation to play at... The, to be in Terry Lynn Carrington's uh, summer jazz workshop at the Berkeley Five Week, and that was in 2006, and that went over quite well. That they, that was after my junior year. So then they offered no, 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 that was after my sophomore year, and then they invited me to come back the following year after my junior year for the same thing, the workshop. And at the end of that program, before I even went into um, my senior year, I auditioned for the full-time college and received a full scholarship. So it was nice to go into my last year of high school knowing, like, having plans and sure. feeling comfortable. I think for people who haven't been to Portland, uh, it has in many ways almost become kind of a parody of itself. This town has been helped by television, certainly. Mm -hmm. And almost anything anyone knows about it now is like a kind of an oasis for counterculture folks. And I have no idea what it would be like to grow up there or study jazz. Uh, So tell us something about Portland and Um, give us a real story. Well, Portland. I mean, apparently a lot happened there before I was born. So I wish I was back there in the 70s and 80s to really see when it was really thriving in terms of having performers there and a lot of people come through and play. Um, For a while, it got into a little like it had a big time where a lot of people were up there and moving there and playing. Um, Then it got down a little bit, you know, not as active. But um, what really started to kick up was the education scene there and the amount of we have so many great local musicians there that can just play their asses off might I say and the so many great teachers there like I could I studied with so many people while I was there I had 
you know, I would take my piano to a sax or my saxophone to a piano teacher and like, like all over just learning, um, different, you know, things from different people, you know, having, you know, maybe just, you know, one lesson here and then go check it out and see what this person has to offer because there are so many, so many there that, that can teach some to name or, you know, you know, of course their memory and then, Renato Caranto, Warren Rand, David Valdez, Randy Porter, Mel Brown. Um, there's just so many that have come come out of there, and I wish it was even well known, but it's really happening there in the north northwest, and not a lot of people know about it. But if they heard heard them, they would just think they were monsters because right. they are, and they're but they're comfortable where they are. You know, they have families, and they. They love Portland, which I don't see how anyone could not love Portland. <laughs> it is so fun. We have, you know, the rivers, the beaches, the mountains, and the city is so fun. So I love, I, I'm really happy here in New York, and I don't think I'll go back, but I'm glad it's a place I can always go visit a couple times a year. And were there places to play there when you were? Yeah, there are some. That's the other thing. That's why I think it died down a little bit. I think a lot of clubs closed and a lot of venues. There are some larger venues that you can play at. Um but in terms of smaller jazz clubs, there's maybe like three. Jimmy Max being my my favorite. Yeah. Talk about how you started establishing yourself when you got here to New York from Berkeley. Um. Well, I, th- uh, I'm still working on that. Sure. Definitely, <laughs> it's such a big city. Um, I think when I I came here, I was kind of a little bit overwhelmed. Mm. You know, it's such a big step up. Um, I had a couple things, well, gosh, I don't really think I came here really not knowing what was going to happen. And so, um, things kind of started off a little slow, you know, I would, I actually kept was re- for the first couple months I was going back to Boston a lot to play cause that's where I had just left and a lot, I still had some gigs there. So I was kind of going back and forth for the few couple months while I was here and then I kind of. I quit the either orchestra, which was a band I was in in Boston, which we can talk about. But um, leaving that band really forced me to just start to stay here and really work on establishing myself here instead of, you know, keep going back to Boston because I wanted to be here. Uh, and so I kind of just you go out to clubs at night and you meet people. I mean, half the work is about networking and being in the right place at the right time and bringing your promo copies and meeting the club owners. So I'm still going around and doing a lot of that and just like being seen so people know who you are. And um I kind of actually a lot of the things that helped are your Berkeley connections here. There are a lot of alumni that moved here, which is the main reason I chose to move to New York is the people that I wanted to play with were here. So, um, a lot of opportunities were given to me, you know, I didn't necessarily go looking for those things, but I got asked to play at the Saratoga Jazz Festival in uh, June. I was asked to play opening for the Bad Plus at the Blue Note in April. Um, that was great. How did that happen? Um, actually, uh, someone that I used to, um, someone that went to the Berkeley Five Week with me in 2006, um, that was just a, somebody I knew there, a friend. I think I might have just done some other ensemble that he was in as well. And he's now working as a booking agency and just kind of found me on Facebook and oh, was like, great. oh, hey, I checked out your site and <laughs> do you want to play? <laughs> it was like, and it was very last minute too. They just like were all of a sudden, oh, let's have someone play. So that was really, that was a fun opportunity to play in such a, you know, a well-named club and 
for a great band, like opening for a great band. Um, and um, then I've actually gotten involved in some other genres while I've been here. I'm not, I don't only play jazz anymore, which is um, exciting. Of course, I want to be primarily a jazz artist um, in terms of paying bills. It sure. helps to play pop music and so talk you know, about what else you've been doing. Motown. Um, I got involved in this wedding band corporation through some people that I met through Berkeley a while ago that were here and in that kind of corporate thing playing for um, a lot of a lot of weddings and um, it's called Hank Lane music production and that's been a nice thing for me to be a part of i really ex- like expanded what i listen to we do a lot of motown um so it's just a different experience for me to play like behind singers like that and to play in a band where people are dancing and it's really fun sure. you know that kind of entertainment because it's very different than jazz like the setting this may seem like a self-evident answer but talk about why you would choose to go with esperanza for this time rather than start your master's well i definitely i thought for a while honestly that i could do both i thought that it wouldn't be a problem and i'm a very diligent worker and i will get everything done no matter how much energy i'm gonna have to be putting into everything um but i talked to the school and they said because of, of school policy you're only allowed to miss two weeks so i had already accepted the tour thinking everything was going to be fine and already had checked into school and oh, wow. got everything ready to go and i was ready to be going like full-time to school and touring and i talked to the head of the jazz department and he was like um, that's, that's as much as I'd love to have you here. That's really just not going to work for the school. Like they won't allow it. And, you know, I couldn't, that was just the kind of opportunity I couldn't ever see myself turning down in a lot of reasons in terms of like, I really think that, you know, being in a classroom is great, which I have been being been in classrooms for a long time. <laughs> but I felt like what I really needed now is experience and just living my life and feeling, you know, what it is to do what I really want to do, what my goal is. And so the fact that this opportunity came along, um, I just couldn't turn it down. And, and the fact that I had already said I'd go. And sure. now, <laughs> you know, it was easier to... From it was what, and I did what I wanted to do. I did want to call the school and say, "Hey, can I defer for a year, and hopefully I'll be in attendance next fall." As much as I, because I really did want to go to school, um, but um, you know, I think some teachers were a little put off, you know, about it, and were just like that, you know, more hard about education and everything. And um, I need to um, just think that that I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what I want to be doing. And that opportunity will still be there. Um, you can because always this, go to school. Exactly. But you can't. But you can't yeah. um, and especially like, who knows what Esperanza is going to be doing later. She could do like a whole, you know, different kind of instrumentation, different kind of, you know, music theme, you know, that she couldn't see me being a part of or wouldn't have a, a place for me. And now she has a place where she wants to use me. And, um, feels great, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't want to turn that down and I wouldn't want to like how weird would that be to just say no to us bro? <laughs> <laughs> I like I don't think I could no, I don't think those words would come out of my mouth to her. Always yes.
My guest is Haley Nicewanger. The new album is called The Keeper. It was a pleasure to meet you and talk to you about the record. Thank Thanks you. You too. That's music from The Keeper, a new album by Haley Nicewanger. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. Wow. After this, there are just two shows remaining. Isn't that crazy? The next show is trombonist and vocalist Natalie Cressman, and that, which is actually the last interview I ever conducted, and she was a brilliant guest, so I'm, I'm excited to play that for you. And then the very final show is an interview with... Uh, Jeffrey Kieser and Donnie McCaslin c- conducted together after they had performed together at the Detroit Jazz Festival. That's And that's it, October 29th. That's the final show. Please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.